Good morning. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Our passage this morning is from Mark 10, verses 46 through 52. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Happy New Year. That was pretty lame. I obviously want you. Thank you. Thank you. No, seriously, Happy New Year. Glad that you are here. Welcome to the gathering of Grace Community Church. I don't know if you noticed the emphasis on the word gathering. That's the first time I've ever said welcome to the gathering of Grace Community Church. Typically, I get up and say welcome to Grace Community Church. The problem with the old way is that it implies, it communicates that this place is Grace Community Church. As if you weren't in the church before, but you drove here, and now you're in the church. Well, the church, the word, ecclesia, means assembly. It means called out ones. It's you. So you are the church. Whether or not you're sitting in this auditorium or whether or not you are home, you are the church. And when we come together as the gathering of God's people, we are his community. And that that video that you watched with Josh is, is, is one of our core values. It's caring community. So welcome to the gathering of God's people known as Grace Community Church. Glad that you are here. It is my prayer that you are edified by the, the worship, the singing, the prayers, and all that's involved as God's people come together this morning. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and just a couple weeks before Christmas, we, were, we started Mark chapter 10, and it was the first time we were introduced to a question that Jesus asked his disciples, and he's going to ask the same question to someone else today. And that question is this, it's, what do you want me to do for you? Uh, it's, it's significant. You should pay attention whenever the authors of scripture, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, whoever is writing, Isaiah, whoever, whoever's word you are reading, whether it's a letter to a church, or in this case, it's Mark's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Whenever you see repetition, you should pause and you should ask yourself, what, what is the author trying to communicate here? So it's significant. It's significant that that within about 12 verses, Jesus asked two different, or actually three people, twice, James and John the first time, and then Bartimaeus the second time, the very same question with the exact same wording. Well, what do you want me to do for you? So before we get into the text, we're going to look at the implications of that and specifically how it applies to prayer. Uh, Before we get into the text, I would like to ask you, What do you want God to do for you? 
It's 2024. What do you want God to do for you that you cannot do for yourself? I mean, if Jesus were to stand here today and point blank ask you to your face, what do you want me to do for you? I hope you would have something to say. Or would you say, it's good. Got it. Everything's awesome. I doubt it. That nobody would say that. Nobody would say, well, I guess maybe some people would say that. But hopefully you'd have something to ask. You'd have something to bring to God. We're going to take a look at seeing prayer clearly. That's the title of the message because Bartimaeus is blind. And what he wants is to be able to see. So our, our task this morning is to view prayer, view prayer, the coming to God with a request, the engagement relationally, verbally, Bringing our request to God, we want to see that clearly this morning. So we're going to take a look at three th- or four things, rather. First of all, who to ask, who it is we are addressing. Secondly, how, what's the, what's the manner by which we approach God? And then third, well, what do we ask? What do we ask? And then lastly, how do you respond? How do you respond? That's what we're going to take a look at. So open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, and let's pray. Father, I come to you, we come to you, humbly dependent upon you. Lord, you ask Bartimaeus and you ask James and John, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, what I ask that you would do for us right now is open the eyes of our heart, that we might see you clearly as you are, that we might see ourselves in you chosen, made holy, made pure, adopted. May we see ourselves rightly as you have called us to be. And for those who are not yet in you, I pray that they would see themselves as they are, separated from you, um, not reconciled. Um, Lord, and I pray that you would draw all men, all women to yourself. Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, may we be edified. May those who are not yet in Christ be brought to Christ. May you do a work in and through us that we cannot do on our own. Father, we pray this, that Christ might be lifted up, that he might be exalted. We pray it in his name. Amen. Okay, first of all, some context. Some context. They came to Jericho. Jericho is about 20 miles uh, northwest of Jerusalem. Northwest of Jerusalem. It's right a few miles off of the Jordan River and they came to Jericho and as he was leaving, so they come to Jericho and now they're leaving as they're leaving with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus and Mark says, he's a blind beggar, son of Timaeus was sitting by the roadside. Now, just by looking at this, you can, you can gather that Bartimaeus is sitting by the roadside. He's not part of the crowd. He's not part of the crowd. The crowd, the throng, they're following Jesus. They want to see him do great things. Bartimaeus is not part of the crowd. He's just a marginalized part of society. It's similar to, if we go back to Mark chapter 5, the woman who has the issue of, of bleeding for 12 years, she's part of the culture, but she's alienated. She's on the fringes. Because of her firmity, she's on, on the fringes. Uh, in, in the same way, Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, he's part of the culture, but he isn't part of the culture. He's, a, he's on the fringe. He's marginalized. He's not following Jesus. He can't follow Jesus. 
He's dependent on other people to meet his needs. And so he's blind. He's a beggar, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Verse 47. And when he, that is Bartimaeus, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay. Now, let's take a look at what he just said and take a look at the address here. Jesus... Son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, verse 47. When he heard that it was whom? Jesus of Nazareth. Now that's where Jesus was brought up. That's where Jesus was brought up. But but he doesn't refer to him as Jesus of Nazareth. He refers to him as Jesus, son of David. This is a messianic title. This is a messianic title. If, if you care to, you can turn to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is when the Lord makes and establishes covenant with David. And in verse 16 of chapter 7, God says to David, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David Nathan is a prophet and what he's saying to David is listen your descendants will never fail to rule on the throne forever I will establish your heritage to rule eternally forever so the son of David was was a was a title for the long-awaited coming Messiah. Now, this isn't the first time that someone has identified Jesus as the Messiah. If we rewind the scriptures back to Mark chapter 8, you remember that, where Jesus says to his disciples, who do the people say that I am? He said, well, some people think that you are Elijah. Some people think that you are John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some people think that you're the prophet. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And then Peter responds, collectively for them. And he says, well, you are the Christ, i.e. the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now he doesn't use the term son of David, but they're synonymous. Son of David equals Christ, Messiah. But what did he tell them after Peter said that? He said, I tell you the truth. That was not revealed to you by men, but by my father in heaven. And then as soon as he finished saying that, he said, and don't tell anyone. He told them specifically, keep that on the lowdown, just between us. So how does Bartimaeus know that Jesus is the Messiah? The same way Peter does. It was revealed to him, not by men, but by Bartimaeus' father who is in heaven. Bartimaeus here has believing faith and he's never literally seen Jesus do anything. He can't see Jesus. He believes on the testimony of what he has heard. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, not when he saw it, but when he heard that Jesus was in town and he could could sense that he he was nearby, that's when he cried out, son of David. So he addresses him. That's the who. That's the who. Son of David, the Messiah. He sees him as the deliverer. Before we move on, how do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? Is he 
a historical figure who taught people how to live and to love. It's not that he isn't that, but he's much, much more than that. He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who came to atone for the sins of man, who conquered sin, who conquered death, and rose victoriously from, from the grave on the third day. But how? How does he approach him? Well, he approaches him, Jesus, son of, uh, or rather, the son of David. That's the who. But what does he ask? Have mercy on me. The word mercy, it means compassion, not based upon merit. So there's mercy, something that you desire, something that you want, but merit is something you deserve. If you go back to the last time Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? That was when James and John approached Jesus. Do you remember that story? James and John approached Jesus and they say, they, they open with master, teacher, rabbi, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. Because that, that's the lead in. That's the lead in. And then Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they say, we want to, when you enter your kingdom, when you establish your kingdom, we want to sit on the right and we want to sit on the left. Now, you remember the context of what the disciples had been arguing about in who's the greatest. Now, how do you determine who's the greatest in anything, anything? Merit. Merit. If you're going to be the best at anything, you've got to earn your way to the top. So that's the context of the request. The request is essentially, without saying it, Jesus, James and John, the two of us, we already perceive that we're part of your inner circle. Yeah, there's Peter too, but there's only two spots on your right and your left. So let's, I'm asking you to recognize how awesome we have been as your awesome disciples, and we want to sit at your right and your left. The, que- the, the, the request is based upon merit. And what does Jesus say to them? You have no idea what you're asking. You're, you're utterly clueless. He says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized, baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized? And, and they say, yes, we can. He's like, you guys are you're absolutely clueless. I love you, but you're clueless. He, it's not a rebuke. It's just a statement. Now, Bartimaeus doesn't come with a, with a, with a, with a spirit of recognize what I've done. He, he's a beggar. He has no ability to do anything except sit and, and depend on other people. And he asks for mercy. He's not coming to Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah, and saying, look at how hard I've worked. Look at what I've accomplished. See my potential. He comes and he says, have mercy. Mercy on me. Have compassion. Take pity. Take pity. That's the how that he approaches. Now, what does he ask? Well, he's already asked something. What's he asked? He says, have mercy. But that's pretty vague. That's pretty vague. When we come to our Father in heaven, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, he lists out a bunch of very specific things. Pray that, that your father's name would be hallowed in heaven. Pray that his kingdom would come, his will would be done. Pray that, uh, pray that he would give us this day our daily bread. Pray that he would forgive us our transgressions as we have forgiven those who have transgressed against us. Pray that he would deliver us from evil. So it, there, there's specificity in terms of how we're to approach God and what we are to ask. So Jesus, 
verse 51 says to him, well, let me back up. Jesus stops. So he hears the cry for mercy and Jesus stops. Now, what is Jesus doing literally? He's walking. He's on his way. He's leaving Jericho. He's on the outskirts of town. He's going to take the 20-mile journey to Jerusalem, and he is on a mission to go to Jerusalem so he can give his life. Now, this Bartimaeus is crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And what what does the crowd tell him to do? Be quiet. Be quiet. And having been told to be quiet, he shouts louder. He shouts louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. And verse 49, and Jesus stops. The cry for mercy gets his attention. Not the cry for merit, but the cry for mercy gets his attention. And he stops. That's significant. The creator of the universe who creates and then establishes and then keeps everything in the universe in order, working all the time, stops. When someone who can't care for themselves cries out and says, have mercy on me. It stops him. That is significant. When you are in pain, when you are crying out for mercy, Jesus stops and he takes notice. He stops. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you and throwing off his cloak. He sprang up. I like Mark's word here. He didn't just stand up. He sprang up. He sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, let's stop for a second. Let's stop and ask some questions. Does this sound like a blank check to you? It it should. It should. And we talked about this a couple, uh, maybe three weeks ago, we were looking at James and John requests. Do whatever we ask you to do. It seems bold. But then you look at all the times Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 13, and John chapter 15, verse 7, and John chapter 15, verse 16, and John chapter 16, verse 23 through 24. Every single time he says, ask whatever you wish in my name and I will give it to you. Now, what does that sound like to you? It sounds like a blank check. It sounds very much like ask whatever you wish and I will do it to you. That's literally what he said repeatedly over and over and over again. So he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, James and John, what do they ask for? I want to be on your right and your left. In other words, I want to be seen as great. What does Bartimaeus ask? I just like to see. I just want to be able to see. James and John, they want to be seen. Bartimaeus, he just wants to see. He just wants to see. All right. I want to to draw attention to the question itself, though. Why does Jesus ask an obvious question? Does Jesus know, does God know ahead of time what Bartimaeus needs and what he wants? Yes. Does God know your needs before you ask? Yes. Yes. Matthew chapter 7, 
uh, rather chapter 6, verse 8, right before Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer, pray this way. He says, you don't pray like the pagans who go on and on and babble the same thing over and over. He says, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask. Okay, well then that begs the question, why do we need to ask God for something he knows we need? Why do we need to ask? That's the question. It almost sounds a little bit mocking to ask a blind person, so what do you want me to do for you? Like Jesus at the pool uh, in, in John chapter 5. He, the guy that's been crippled for all those years at the pool, but he couldn't drag himself in. You know that story? Do you remember what Jesus asked him? Do you want to be made well? Seriously, who asked that to a cripple? You're talking to a blind guy who can't see, who begs for a living, and Jesus says, so what would you like to do for me? Does Jesus not know? What do you, how many of you vote? Jesus is clueless and he has no idea what Bartimaeus wants. Nobody raises their hand. Why? Because you know better. Jesus knows what Bartimaeus needs, but he asks, what do you want me to do for you? Okay, why does God want us to ask for stuff he knows we need? There's one answer. So he knows that we know that we depend on him. Yes, that's true. That is true. It's absolutely true. It's, it's because what God wants most of all is a relationship with you, with me. He wants us to come to him as a child and to ask. A healthy relationship with a divine being requires that we vocalize that we communicate. The video that you saw with Josh, one of our values is caring community. You cannot be in caring community horizontally with other people unless you gather. Furthermore, you cannot experience caring community unless you talk and unless you listen. Coming to church occasionally to listen to me go on and on about whatever I'm going on and on about is not caring community. It's very one-sided. There's listening, but there's not talking. Prayer is the engagement with the divine being, Christ, the Son of God who gave himself for you, and he wants you to know that he wants to know you, and he wants to know your needs, and he wants you to speak to him. He wants you to cry out and beg for mercy. He wants you to praise him. He wants you to thank him. He wants you to complain against him. He wants you to share whatever is on your heart, whether it is right or wrong. He knows it already, but he wants you to know that he knows it already. This is what prayer is. It is a communication between you and the living God. Yes, Jesus knows that Bartimaeus wants to be able to see, but he wants to have a conversation with Bartimaeus about his desire to see. What is it that you want God to do for you? Did you know that God wants to have a conversation about your wants? Some of you, your wants are not biblical. They're, how do I know that? That seems presumptuous for me to just say, did you know that God doesn't think your, your needs are biblical? Or not needs, your wants. How do I know that? Because I'm one of you. I am you. And 
Not everything I want is something that God wants for me. Now, many things are, but that's the point. God wants us to engage him and share with him our wants so we can have a conversation with someone who loves us. Why? So we can learn to see clearly. You see, that's our problem. That's ultimately our problem. Turn in your Bibles to to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul says in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Listen to verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and which is his immeasurable greatness of the power towards us who believe. What is he saying? He's saying, I pray for you that God would open the eyes of your heart so you'd see him clearly for who he is. And furthermore, I pray that your eyes of your heart would be open, that you would see yourself in light of who you are in him clearly. Because you can't see. You're blinded by, by this, the God of this age who, who gives you blinders and distracts you with all sorts, of, all sorts of temptations and all sorts of things which glitter, which are not really gold, which won't really satisfy. And those are the things you want. I want you to want what truly will satisfy. And you can't see it clearly. I want you to be able to see. That's the conversation he wants to have with us. And sometimes we can't see that. We're blind. Oh, we see well enough to read, to drive. Although the older and older I get, I have to wear readers all the time or contacts so I can actually read. I I start to lose my, my visual sight, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about spiritual insight. The ability to see what is true. Bartimaeus saw that before he could see physically. James and John, not so much. What do you want me to do? Ask, ask. And then the response. How to respond. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. Go your way. So Bartimaeus articulates, I want to regain my sight. That implies that he was not born blind. We're not sure how he became blind. I don't know how long he was blind, but evidently he could see at one time and he wants to be made able to see again. And Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you well. Now, When he says your faith has made you well, Jesus is not saying faith as in faith by itself makes anyone well. And by that I mean faith as in conjuring up the strength to believe something is true. That's not it. The object of faith, remember, who does does Bartimaeus say that Jesus is? Son of David. He recognizes him as Messiah. He recognizes him as the Messiah, the Christ. He asked him to do what only God can do. Only God can make someone see who can't see. So he recognizes that he is the son of God, that he has authority. And what Jesus is saying is your trust 
in me, your trust, your hope in me, that's what's made you well. Who healed Bartimaeus? Jesus healed Bartimaeus. The faith is the, is the conduit by which that healing flows. Jesus is the divine healer. The faith is the belief that Jesus will do what he says he's going to do. And he does. He does. And then, well, not then. Actually, he says this first, go your way. In light of the fact that you are now able to see your faith has made you well, go your way. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Okay, let's take a look at the response here. Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you well. Bartimaeus recovers his sight, and what's the next thing he does? What's the text say? He follows Jesus. Here's what Jesus wants. He wants to come to you. He's coming to you, and he's saying this. What do you want me to do for you? He wants to engage you in a relationship. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to pour out your needs. He wants you to pour out your trivial wants. He wants to hear everything that your heart desires. And then he wants to open your eyes and open your eyes so that you might see him clearly for who he is. And he wants to open your eyes that you might see yourself in him clearly for who you are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, he wants you to see that apart from Christ, you are utterly lost and there is no hope for you. But he, in his mercy, is willing to grant you repentance unto faith and adoption to be a citizen, a child of the king. He wants to give you all that, who has a relationship with the creator of the universe, who actually cares about your little aches and pains or your big aches and pains and your most devastating losses and your joys. He wants to know everything about you. He knows everything about you, but he wants to engage you in conversation. That's what a relationship is. He wants you, he wants me, he wants us to follow him to walk with him. And now that he's been given the ability to see, the first thing he does is he follows. He follows. So with the remaining time, I want to just spend a little bit of time and ask, what are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? It really depends on how you see this passage and prayer in general. I've wrestled with this as long as I've known that I have to preach this. And I'll I'll be candid and I'll tell you why. Because there is a tendency for us to look at this passage in a very formulaic way. Here's what I mean by this. So, I had four points to the sermon. Who to ask, how to ask, what to ask, how to respond. So let's take it point by point. If this is a formula for you, if you are seeing this as a means to get what you want out of life, then here's how you will approach this. Formula. Okay, I got three variables. Number one. I need to know who I'm asking. I need to address him correctly. I need to call him the son of David. I just need to acknowledge that he is the Messiah. That's, that's point number one. So if I can check that box off, check. I got it checked. Secondly, I need to come to him and I need to understand that what I'm asking for is mercy. This is not based on anything that I can do. So I correctly come to him in a posture of humility, in a posture of humbleness, and I come and I recognize I don't deserve anything for, from you. But I'm asking for compassion on the basis of your goodness, not my merit. I am asking for compassion. So check. I know who he is. Check. I'm coming to him and I'm looking for mercy, not merit. And third, whatever you ask in my name, 
I will do it for you. So I just need to make sure that whatever I ask for, I ask in his name and I need to say it correctly and I need to do it and I need to believe in faith and then Jesus is going to do whatever I want him to do until he doesn't. Until he doesn't. You are not children and you are not fools. And I will not treat you as such. You know that there are times when you ask for something which seems clearly to be the will of God and he does not heal. He does not make the pain go away. He delays. And if you and I treat this as a formula, one of two things will happen. First, if you get what you ask for, you will assume that you're doing it right. And the reason that you got what you asked for is because you're doing it right. And you will believe that it is God's will for us to always get what we want when we want it. And then, but, but that won't last because you know that that's not going to last. You, your experience tells you that pain is sometimes something that God wants us to go through and he doesn't always remove the source of pain, whatever the source of pain is. And if you believe this to be a formula and you don't get what you ask for, you plug in the variables to obtain your ultimate desire, whatever that is, health, wealth, a great relationship, and you don't get what you ask for, you'll conclude one of two things. Number one, you'll conclude that you did it wrong. You'll conclude that the problem is you. And and honestly, there's some validity to that. James said, well, the reason you don't have is because you don't pray. And when you do pray, you ask with wrong motives, to to spend whatever you want on yourself. So there is some truth to that. Sometimes the reason we don't get what we ask is because our prayers or our motives aren't right. But but that's not always the case. Sometimes you want something which you legitimately want for the glory of God and and just for the sake of mercy and your motives are pure and you still don't get what you want. If that's the case and you've done everything right and your heart is pure and you've confessed your sin and you pray for healing and you pray for this and your eyes are not open physically or your spouse is not healed of the cancer or that spouse that abandoned you doesn't come back or that child that rebelled still doesn't believe yet, you begin to wonder, maybe the problem's God, not me. And the bitterness starts to set in because you've done everything right You've checked all the boxes on the formula of how to get what you want from God. And he hasn't given you what you asked. And so you begin to wonder, maybe it's me, maybe it's him. In either case, the relationship sours. And you drift away from God. And sometimes people don't come back. This is not a formula Those of you that have real relationships with people, do you get up every morning and drink coffee with your spouse and check the boxes of how to talk to them? 
Do you check the boxes of how do you engage your children? Kids, do you check the boxes on how to manipulate your parents? Well, yes. Well, that's not how it works. It's not a, it's not a formula. It's a relationship. It's not a... It, it, it's a relationship. The goal here... You'll either see it as a formula, which it's not, which it's not, or you'll see it as an invitation to walk with the spirit of the living God, the creator of the universe, so that you can have a relationship with this creator, which is what it is. That's what it is. And the goal in that case is to see God clearly, to see God for who he is to see Christ for who he is and to see yourself rightly related to him. That's the goal. That's the goal. And then when he grants the request, like he does right here, what's the response? He gets up and he follows. Let's rewind it a few verses back. But he didn't grant the request of James and John. He says, can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they said, yes. And he says, Yeah, you will, but you guys are clueless. And he does not grant their request. And what is their response, James and John? Exactly the same response as Bartimaeus. They follow him. Sometimes in this relationship with God, we get what we want when we want it. Sometimes he says, you don't have any idea what you're asking, but I love you anyway and I'm going to bring you into glory. So trust me. That's what this is all about. It's about trust. And I believe that Mark puts both of these accounts side by side so that we look at them side by side and not separated from one another. Because some of you want what you want and what you want is righteous, good, and pure. And some of you want to be seen and you want to be glorified yourself. And here's the, here's the truth of the matter. Whether you are a flaming narcissist or whether or not you are a humble blind beggar on the side of the road, if you are in Christ, Jesus passionately loves you. And he wants you to see him clearly and he wants to see yourself clearly for who you are in him whether or not you want to see him or you want to see yourself exalted, he still loves you. He still loves us. So ask. Ask. We'll close with this. What do you want Jesus to do for you? Some of you are very, very burdened this morning because the thing that's on your heart is very heavy. Sometimes it's a physical situation. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's relational. But your heart is heavy and you want God to to act and you've prayed and he hasn't. Keep asking. Keep asking. Sometimes the answer is not no. Sometimes it's just not yet. I've prayed for my wife for 25 years that she'd be physically restored. And I stopped asking for a while because, because I got cynical. And then I was convicted that the answer is not no, it's just not yet. So keep asking. Keep asking. 
and follow. So as we close in prayer, for those of you that have a burden that you're not, that you'd like us to pray for as elders, there'll be a few of us up up front here, encourage you to come forward, share your heart. We want to pray for you. We want to pray with you. If you're like, I don't really want to share my prayer request with anyone face-to-face, let us know what that prayer request is online. Our staff, our elder team, we will intercede and we will pray for you. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you invite us to have a relationship with you. Lord, open the eyes of our hearts that we might see you clearly for who you are. Merciful, loving, good. And Father, help us to trust. Give us the boldness to ask. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our asking, in our receiving, and in our trusting, even when we don't receive what we ask for. Lord, would you help us to see you clearly for who you are, that we might worship you, that we might adore you. And Father, would you make your name known in this community of believers, this gathering of people. Would you make your known in this community, Iowa City, North Liberty, Coralville. Would you make yourself known to this world, Lord, that we might see you high and lifted up, that you might draw all men and women unto yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God bless, go in grace, and we will see you next week.